Um, good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here. Thank you, Ms. Bo. Um, I'm the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, <clears throat> today in our sermon series in the book of James, we are going to take up where we left off last week, where we saw that it is good and godly to be nice, to be a people who are pure and peaceable and gentle, as the scripture says, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and that it is often our passions, our live-or-die opinions, and drive around hot issues, personal desires, goals, hopes, dreams, and viewpoints that can make us mean and hard to get along with and difficult and disappointed with God and ourselves. Well, today, James links these passions, as he describes, that are at war and rage within us to our prayer lives. And like the people James is addressing, we are all living in a trying and difficult to deal with world somewhere between our desires and our passions and God's will in a valley, right? We can find ourselves living and dwelling and struggling in what I describe as the valley of unanswered prayers and unmet desires. Where we want a lot and God is giving less than what we thought or think he should. It is a place where believers like you and me can, can dry up in our faith and lose our way. In this valley of unanswered prayers and unmet desires, it is a place where first prayer can and is difficult. Secondly, where holiness can be and is difficult. But finally, where we'll find God is easy. In this passage, there are a couple of verses that, that are often uh, taken out of context when we teach and learn about prayer. Many of us have heard verse 2 and verse 3 from James that reads, that reads this way. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. In this part, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And these verses are often used, and I've heard them taught to encourage us that the simple reason we don't have or get what we want is because we don't ask God for it. That, that not asking is what is stopping you and me from getting, but that is not quite the, the full applica application or the context of the asking and receiving here. James is actually being descriptive and not prescriptive for a difficult prayer life. So this is not simply about how to fix a difficult prayer life. This is about why praying is and can be difficult. Look at how he describes the prayer and the prayer here once again beginning at verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It is clear from the description around this passage that the person is having a hard time both asking, that is engaging in prayer, petition, please God for this active relationship, and then receiving anything from God. Why? Because they ask and don't ask for selfish reasons. You want some surefire, no problem praying for and then receiving prayers? They're all in the Bible, right? Prayers for others. Surefire. Prayers for God's glory to be done and come. Sure. Prayers for the hope and healing and salvation of others. Always a good prayer. Prayers for your real, real daily needs. Great prayers. Man, those prayers are a lot easier to pray. But like uh, Dan Dorian explains in his James, James commentary, the Bible rarely majors or gives us a guideline for self-centered prayers. Driven by selfish, me please, my goal for my vision, for my personal good reasons. And so guess what? What James is saying is we are afraid and reluctant to ask those prayers for one or two reasons. We know they are so self-serving and covetous and trying to have our own way and so rule-laden for how, we have, how God has to answer them and when he must answer them that we don't think it is a good-hearted prayer ahead of time so we keep it in and away from him, we are actually ashamed to ask. Because you know it is completely selfish and self-centered. But not only that, we are afraid that the answer will be no. Or wait. Or, as God likes to do, amended by God in some way. And you know what? If you're like me anyway, we can't bear and don't want it. And most of us know there is something pretty final or terminal about God saying, no, wait, or mend that with some things I want. And it is so important to us. Whatever we want, whatever passion we have is so important to us. It can't be altered or denied or we will die or stop believing or it will hurt our love and relationship with God. So much so that some of us won't even ask. And if it is that kind of prayer, chances are God will, as James says, not give it to you. And you will not receive from the Lord exactly how you are requiring. Now hear this. In your prayer, requiring a holy, sovereign God to give it to you. Lord, I pray this. But when you pray it, you're really praying, do it my way, in my time. And if you amend it, Add anything to it, add some suffering to it. If you add some more time to it, if you add something I've got to learn deeper about you to it, I don't really want it. And we wonder why our prayers aren't answered. 
Because God is answering, but he is not answering the way you want. But our prayer lives are often difficult, not just because they are selfish, but because our prayers can be sin-laden. Look at the person in verse 1 and 2. He says they're fighting and quarreling for their passions, for their goals. They're causing all kind of problems, not only inside themselves, they're at war, inside themselves having extreme anxiety, that is. But, but it, it also goes on to say they get covetous and they murder to get what they want. One thing for sure, you much less God, don't want this murderous, covetous, and battling person's prayer request answered. If some of our prayer requests were answered, there'd be a lot less of us in the room. Right? Blip, somebody's husband and wife would be gone. Lord, please take them away. Bloop. They in the way. And if we or they get, get it like that, we probably know better than to go to God with that kind of sinful heart. That's if you have a good conscience. You know not to ask for that prayer. And then look at verse 4 with me together. You adulterous people, do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God or enemies of God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why would God answer the prayers of a believer or an unbeliever whose life and desires are at odds with his? Oh, who wants God's way out of the way? Lord, I want this. I know it's wrong. But you, if you could just please get out of the way. And then you ask him that and he doesn't answer the prayer. And you're like, why didn't you answer my prayer to not be God? Just for a little while. Lord, can't you just lay down until I exactly get what I want? I'm pretty sure God will not answer their goals and way and vision. The prayers of those of us who are at war with him, not going to happen. And if he does answer that prayer, do you really want his answer? Okay, I'll give them what they want. The Bible says sometimes he does give us what we want and it will harm and hurt us. Like your parent letting you touch the hot stove that you insist on touching. Do you want that from God? Sometimes, something else here, sometimes it can be difficult to pray because of guilt stopping us. We are in some sin and we just can't go to God because we're guilty. Look with me at verse, um, what is this, verse 8. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then he says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, we're going to get to this, and this is kind of the solution for the whole thing. But one thing we recognize that he is saying here is that one reason we don't draw near to God is we have guilty consciences, right? We are guilty. We have all kind of things we've done. We have all kind of passions we know we shouldn't have. And so we don't come before God. We stay away. 
Our prayer lives can be such mess and promise to be if they are selfish and sinful and guilty and don't live and recognize the grace of God and Jesus that we'll get to more in a minute. And unfortunately, many of us have given up praying even for good things and for good reasons because God has told us no or has yet to move on something we long for more than him. And so we are giving God the silent treatment. Like we are showing him, right? Or can't trust him because he didn't love me and give me what I wanted and how I wanted and didn't make me happy. Let me make clear, I am not making light of this. This is heavy and serious disappointment with God I'm talking about. Because it's even good stuff. Like some of you were praying for your marriage and it didn't make it. Or hasn't gotten any better. Some of you are praying for the health and life of a loved one or a certain job or you went all out for and to God for certain things you, and it was hard and you are praying and nothing. But what has happened, hear me carefully now, is that our desires for the answer we want, even if it, even it can be, even if it can be, even if it's an unsinful, even in a good cat category, that desire for that thing to be answered can become a cancer of passion and desire. What do I mean by that? That, you know, the good cells all alive in the wrong place in one place with a strong blood flow can be deadly. We have this one prayer, right? Or, or one group of good prayers that we held on to over the days and, and months and even years. And it has become a cancer of selfish disappointment and desire and passion. And you are now reserved or angry or less trusting of God. And so you don't ask him for much anymore. And it seems like he says no a whole lot more. And our prayer life dies. It becomes a war with God. We find ourselves not only unable to pray, but having difficulty being holy, being committed to entrusting the Lord and how and why we live in the valley of unanswered prayers and unmet desires. You see, the passions. James is talking about our unmet desires, and that is neither good or bad. I'm not going to tell you whether your desires are good or bad, your dreams or your visions or goals, unless they're selfish and causing fighting and quarrel like they get that way. But holiness before the Lord is difficult in a place of our unmet desires, and they can lead to all kinds of mess, can't they? Look at what our desires that are unmet, our passions can do, apart from killing and injuring our prayer lives, which we already talked about. Look again at verse 1 and 2, and then look at verse 4. 1 and 2 says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Let me let you know the quarrels and fights are not good, okay? Let me just clear that up. It is for this that your passions are at war. Is, is it not this that your passage are at war with you? You desire and do not have. You, you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Then look at verse 4. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the Lord makes himself an enemy of God. What is the scripture talking about here? 
our unmet desires, personal dreams, goals, and visions, and what we affectionately say we need, I love that word, to make it to be happy can make us difficult people to get along with. They can turn us into real jerks like we saw last week. They can make us tough and ready to fight for our way and our dreams and our goals by fighting others that we are called to care for or love, destroying and blowing up verbally, emotionally, and even physically anyone or anything that gets in our way. You know what the Bible and James calls that? Murder. As in not necessarily killing someone, even though if you watch shows like I, unash- uh, like I ashamedly do, sorry, like Snapped and Forensic Files, people who kill have a woman or man or their money or the children, right? And there is this surprise, like, 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 what happened? How did the good church deacon from this church or the perfect moral housewife become an extortional killer, adulterous mastermind vixen, right? Unmet desires. That's how. But back to the point that murder that James mentions here does not, is not killing someone necessarily, but the moral guilt of mistreating, demeaning, abusing, misusing, and hating on another human being in this case so that you can get your way and what you want your way right, right now, right? Unmet desires or passions as James describes them can make God our enemy. How does the old love song put it? If loving you is wrong, then I don't want to be right. In this case, our passions, our unmet desires can make us sing a similar chorus. Just fill in the blank, right? If my goals and my passions, what I want, my personal pursuits, my longings, my hunger, my appetite, my wanting this personal, this income or lifestyle, good or bad, is wrong, then God is not right right now, right? And I don't care if I'm wrong or not right because God may be, as Jill Scott puts it, getting in the way of what I'm feeling. And that comes out in all sorts of ways. One in particular, we begin to change or reinterpret and demand reinterpretation of God's will and word or sin, right? Because we want or are hurting for something to not be or change so badly. You and I are in the valley of our days and desire is high and disappointment and, and hope is off the chain. And it is those moments where we recognize how hard it is to be holy or righteous or obedient before God and towards each other. But you know what all of this unrighteous, unholy, other and self-demeaning behavior, fighting and being quarrelsome and stopping praying even and rolling over people and processes, whether you're a passive-aggressive or just an aggressive-aggressive, all about. Trying to meet your own desires yourself. You're so empty, so hungry, And God is just not serving up your flavor today or this year or this decade. God is not answering prayers. You go so long for, you you long for so much more. Stuff is burning for change inside of your life, good or bad. You just get tired of waiting. And so you and I take matters into our own hearts. 
our own minds, our own hands, instead of being free to give them over to God and for the sake of someone else. And the end result of taking your unmet desires and unanswered prayer in your own hands is, as James says, fighting and quarreling and inner turmoil and anxiety and depression and drivenness and unrest and hating and mistreating others. And get this, as it says in verse 4. Adulterous people who are enemies of God. Therefore, it says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then verse 5, or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? It's a little complicated verse, that last one, but we'll figure it out together. It means that you will make plea deals. Hear me now. With the world. Just little side deals. With philosophies, people, unholy, unbiblical ways, all sorts of self-deprecating behavior, hatred policies. It means making a covenant or treating to, treaty to just be a little unholy. Just a little rebellious and disobedient in some area. It means making a deal with the devil to get what you want. This verse about jealousy of the soul. And it could be that God's jealous for your soul. It could be that you're jealous so for your soul to do what it wants. And I like the second one better because of the context. It means that the soul that God has given you is so jealous, right? And that word jealous is zealous, right? So wants to take control of itself so it can get what it wants that you and I will take that soul and give it away or at the very least lend it out. Maybe at night when everyone is sleeping or sneaking around or living a secret lifestyle or in thought life or just on the weekends or just at work or just when you are hanging out with the crowd you are trying to advance in or get accepted by, it means that you will put down your holiness as collateral to get what you want. That you will do this. Pawn the relationship with God as your Lord your church, your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and the Bible is his word and guidance for a high interest in your personal desires and passions to get where and what you want now or quicker or more intensely because God is just not answering your prayer or your desire. And the Bible says we become enemies of God because God is trying to take away our control and rule and power over our lives that are hurting and longing and desperate. I'm not making light of that. And we will go to battle, most of us, trying to be all espionage with God, thinking we are hiding our true motives and desires and actions from him, tricking God that he is getting enough and we are holding some back because we know he is not answering or willing to give us what we want. And that thing in your hand or heart to accomplish or get is making it difficult in a valley of unmet and unanswered prayers to be holy and acceptable and righteous before the Lord. I don't know because James just told me. I know from experience. So do you. So yes, disappointed and filled with desire, it is difficult to pray and be holy, sometimes near impossible because... We not only have wants, but get this. Our wants now have us. Hooked. Driven. 
dangerous and drunk with the wrong kind of hope. But James says this in verse 6. Oh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? But God gives more grace. Let me say that again. But God gives more grace. In other words, for as bad and how desperate you have longed to pursue and hope for something, God has that much more provided grace that is rest and peace and love and relief and refreshment for you and me in the valley of our days. And, and as difficult as it is right now, the Bible is teaching God will be easy. By giving the promise of, of his sovereignty for our unanswered prayers and his grace for our unmet desires. And the first thing you see here in verse 6 and 7 are the words humble and submit. Look with me at verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Then verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Look at why. Look carefully at verse 10. And why we should submit and humble ourselves. Verse 10 tells us, humble ourselves before who? The Lord. And he will exalt you. In the Greek, the word is kairos, right? It, 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 kairos, or so, it, it means this. He to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has power of deciding, master and the Lord, possessor and disposer of a thing, the owner, one who has control of the person, once again, the master, the king. James is saying for all your hard work and fighting and hurting in the valley, ultimately your life, you and your burning desires belong to someone that is not you. That you belong to someone along with your desires who actually has the power and final right to make you and your stuff happen. As much as you and I might act like it and work so hard in a place where you feel like you are alone in and you alone care enough. You know, we always have these great biography stories. I had to carry my dream myself up the rough side of the mountain, right? And we make movies about that stuff. Nobody believed in me, so I had to do it myself. Well, the scripture is saying, right, when you feel like you are alone, or you alone care enough or hold on your desires, that you alone get you and got you in this or that thing, because no one and not even God understands kind of selfishness, hear this good news. God has given you the grace, right, the gift of his sovereignty, his lordship, and this should humble you and me and make us not only stop, but now have to, not have to be so proud and Stand up for ourselves in this world. If you are a believer, you are and can never belong to yourself and hold on to yourself because you have become the responsibility, right? The loving responsibility of God. You are the property, the personal living filled with God, given dignity and worth, possession of the Lord. And it is God who is responsible for you no matter how you might feel about him right now and how he seems to be answering and not answering your prayers right now. It is time to live like a child 
while growing up to realize that there is someone committed to knowing best and able to do better for you than you can do for yourself. Had a therapist of mine say something that was so humbling. But it helped me rest and not be a jerk or pretender. I'm good at that. It humbled me so good (laughs) that I could start getting some real help. While I was doing my normal super verbal high prose, I already read all the counseling books talk. Because I'm as good as any counselor. Sorry, you MSWs. I have a degree in English. I can sound like I know what I'm talking about. I don't need a counselor. I just need to sit in front of a mirror, right? I should pay myself $100 an hour. (laughs) And she says to me in this calm voice, Howard, you cannot run circles around me with your pontifications. Oh. the way it sounded. I know people like you. I deal with clients like you and love working with people like you. And then she says this, not only can't you do an end around me because you are the client and I'm the therapist, you don't have to because I'm already agreed to own the relationship. And this might sound harsh at first, but when you paid your money, I became committed to your issues and hardships and brokenness, and you can bring them in here with nothing to prove and nothing to earn. For this hour, I'm a safe place, a growing place in therapists. The performance and the parade and the hiding does not work well for you or me in here. And you know what? I breathe real big and let go and humble myself. And I say, began, because I ain't giving it all away right away, you know. Got to hold some in, because she might not know something. (laughs) And I began to be broken and unashamed for shameful things and desire. Jesus paid already, y'all. Not for an hour, but for all eternity. And the Lord James mentions is the covenant God of Israel. Your God, your Lord, you and I don't have to do an end around prayer over him. But you can simply, good news for you and me, we can relax. Because by God's grace, no matter how big the hole or emptiness or longing or drive or desperation or sin you have done to deal with, it is this easy. Hear me. You can't go or get around a God who is the Lord and a Lord who has committed himself to loving and keeping and transforming you. So stop trying is what James is saying. 
Humble yourself, because guess what? God won't stop and won't give up and won't leave you alone and let you get away with a dream or goal or let your dream or goal or burning passion or resultant sinful behavior get away with you or get you away from him. You think your desire is strong. Imagine being in a relationship with an eternal, infinite, perfect God who loves you with that kind of desire. You think you can out-desire and out-passion God for your soul? I don't think so. You think you jealous for something? The Bible calls him a jealous God. He is more jealous than you could ever be for anything you have in your life. That's the kind of Lord you have. Hear this. Look, be, look back at verse 6. I'm not going to cover it all here today. We'll wait for some. Look at verse 7, rather. I better go ahead and say this. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Satan and sin are not fair lenders. They are not going to give you a loan or entrance as God's child or anyone into a world or the playground or amusement park of sin to ease and meet your unnecessary prayers and you get rid of them and without damage, scot-free. It don't work like that. When I was living in Baltimore, um, we used to have free drug day. But it ain't free. You know who they look for? They look for the people they ain't seen in a while. The people just sort of breaking free from the drugs. The people who can't afford it anymore and the hardship even made them kind of back off a little bit. And they say, try this. It's free. And they go back to prostituting themselves, some of them, and demeaning themselves and fighting and quarreling and robbing and stealing This scripture is saying that if you resist the devil by how drawing near to God and God drawing near to you, that he will flee. The stuff that draws us back in, God will give us power to resist. Meaning he will have to leave you alone. He will go away. He and sin will not have the power to drain your soul anymore. That sin cannot, will not determine the path of your life. That your desires that you might have, become, might have become sinful and strung you out there will no longer, do not have the power to hold you chained and in bondage. It does not mean we won't continue to fight with sin, but that the sinful manifestation of dreams and disappointments do not, because of Jesus, have to dry up your prayer lives in relationship with God. But that might not be the most impressive thing about the valley of unanswered prayers and unmet desires. Look at what the grace God and Jesus has done for us. Look at verse 6 again. I'm going to try to wrap this up as quickly as I can. But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
James is saying that in all the crazy, foolish, unholy behavior that God, that, that God goes easy on us and does not destroy us or crush us or shame us or just brush us aside. He calls us sinners, us pouty, spoiled acting, angry at God and the world belonging to him, brats, and to come to him over and over again and again to be in a safe place. The Lord is not telling us that we should just get over how hard it is to, to not get what we want and be what we, be what we want for so long. He's not saying dry it up when we are disappointing and hurt, disappointed, hurt by not having or our prayers are not being answered. He is saying humble yourself. How? By letting your disappointments and pain happen in your prayers. To draw near to him. It says, wash your hands, right? It says, pout. It says, cry. It says, don't have it all together. What is he saying? When you come to me in prayer, please don't try to have it all together. Give it to me so I can get you together, right? Don't turn away and be ashamed that you might have selfish thoughts or ways, but lay them before me anyway, God is saying. Even if you're crying because you wanted a turbo car and couldn't get approved for it, or no, you shouldn't have. Even if it's because it seems like everyone else is going on vacation and you aren't, and it just hurts. Or it seems like everyone is married with kids and it seems like this ethnic group or gender is more respected or in charge. The Lord is saying, bring it. Because for all the tears, snot and blood, and blisters, right? And, 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 and di disappointments, and dysfunctions, and anxieties can't express in our longing for all the guilt, for the sin we might have caught ourselves up in to try to comfort ourselves. Let me tell you something. Three long nails on a rugged cross, and Jesus promises enough and more grace to handle your burning, your pain, your disappointments, your longings, and your guilt. So verse 8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double mind. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned in mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. I had no idea that Alec was going to mention the yoke. Jesus saying, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I had no idea. That was what we were going to start with. In the Gospels, Jesus did say, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a thing on the oxen and horse's back they would use to bind it to the plow driven by the landowner or master to take the strong-willed oxen and horses where he wants to do what and when he wants it. And the yoke did not let the personal desires of the yoked animals to do what they want when they wanted and stop them from straying. Jesus is saying this. I close with this. In contrast to how the world would treat a dreamy, disappointing person like you and me, and how we would even treat ourselves for all the things we want. His yoke of grace and sovereignty is easy. In the valley of unanswered prayers and unmet desires, 
God is easy. Our way is difficult. Come to him today. The sovereign and gracious Lord is your God and your Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you offered this for us. We can't outdo you. We can't outgive you. We can't outmaneuver you in trying to get all we want and it appears that you won't give us. Help us not to go around you anymore, but to come before you. Help us not to hide the shame of us wanting something so badly. And help us to humble ourselves and bring it to you. You're the Lord. And when we come wrong, help us to believe that we can wash our hands. That you will purify us. That we'll learn more of you. Scripture says, learn of me. Take your yoke. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, Lord, is what you said. Thank you for being a jealous God. For your people. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.